0: Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. I was gallivanting in the U.S. for a few weeks and happened upon a rad event in Denver called Ignite Denver, And I showed up to the event because a dear friend named Jackie Carr was speaking. And I have to tell you that naturally, Jackie rocked the stage and so did everyone else. It was such an excellent curation of incredible speakers. And this woman kicked off the night, kicked off the show, Dr. Liz. She had some hand drawn comics, if you will, attached to her photos, which told the story Well, I won't tell you the story. It told her story of inclusion, not only in work, but really in life and in love. And I was so captured by it. So gosh, without further ado, I stopped this woman and was so grateful that she jumped onto this podcast. And it's a conversation that you really just need to hang on to your hats. It reminds us of just how much is possible to change in life. She's nothing short of inspiring. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Okay. I feel like we're jumping into this podcast in completely the wrong direction. And Dr. Liz has no context of what we're speaking of. She was just telling me a story that was too good to not hit record on because she had me buckled over when she said she gave up a Botox budget for therapy and was being (laughs) mentored by someone in Boston while she was living in Australia. And launching a new business in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of heaps of grief. And I thought that she ended up marrying this mentor. And then she says, no, 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 that wasn't how it went at all. And so I was like, hold up. We need to rewind this tape. Dr. Liz, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. I need this to land that your story and your grief and your radical raging success and the heartache. I I don't even know the right word to describe the heartache. I am so grateful you have been through to come out the other side with stories, with a smile that beams like yours does, because I think that this pandemic is full of wild tales and you have a chapter (laughs)
1: so, <laughs> I don't know. If it's just a chapter, Steph. I mean, perhaps it's a whole book or an epic of movies. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, we're going to get into how you spend your days now and your, I would say, vocation. And yet it feels more like your Dharma brought to life, if I can say that. Can we just rewind though? Can you tell me what happened two years ago? I shared in the intro how, you know, I came to meet you on stage at Ignite Denver and your story really hit my heart because as a white cisgendered presenting female, we have certain assumptions that revolve around the world of DEI that you reminded us so beautifully. There are places and spaces of inclusivity that go far beyond our eyes and our ears and things we don't think of all the time Mm. so I want to honor that and I mean holy heck if there's a moment in time that we can have some giggles and some oh my gosh moments (laughs) can you please take us
1: there (laughs) I'm like, well, where do I start? Why don't we start with the story that that originally captured you and then we'll go from there. It'll be a bit of a backwards storytelling. Really, I uncovered the importance of inclusion for myself. My eyes were open to discrimination when I found myself Tinder dating at the age of 39. I'd had a 23-year marriage or relationship. Two children did the right thing as I would be expected after I'd fallen pregnant accidentally. Um, at the age of 39, I had the courage to finally go out on my own and find myself. And I found myself dating on Tinder, as you do. After, oh, what was it, 17 really miserable Tinder dates, I had matched with someone and I'll tell you his profile photos were super hot, but I really stalked him leading up to the date and uncovered that he was profoundly deaf. And I'll be honest, I was going to cancel the date because really, could I go on a a date with someone that was deaf or could I even have a relationship with someone that was deaf? I was looking for a long-term relationship. So then I'm projecting, right? I'm like, well, could I marry someone that had a disability? But I did make myself go on the date and I fell in love with him. Perhaps not that night, but I did fall in love. And we had a, I would probably call it a whirlwind romance. I experienced love like I'd never known. It was all encompassing. Like I was gone. Did you sign? Well, not before we met. No. Not before you met. Let me be honest. When I was seven years old, I taught myself the Auslan alphabet. Auslan is Australian sign language. So in the US, you've got American sign language. There's British sign language. There's New Zealand sign language. We all assume that there's all one language, but every different country has a different sign language. So I knew the alphabet, but that would be a very long way to communicate with someone. No kidding. Yeah, so he was verbal, so he could talk. He just couldn't hear. So, you know, communicating wasn't impossible. He could read my lips, but I did need to learn actual sign language if he was going to understand everything I said. Otherwise, the comprehension probably is down around 60%. So yeah, so I learned sign language. Great skill. We were getting married and to surprise him on our wedding day, I learned the words to a song. I'm not great at remembering the words to any song, let alone in a second language, let alone a second language coming out of my hands, which is a whole nother skill. Uh, And I signed a song as I walked down the aisle, uh, A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. And A friend filmed it on her phone. No one knew. I did not tell a soul because I was kind of like panicking, thinking, oh, if I forget the words and so maybe I won't do it. I mean, I bought at the last minute. But I went through with it. They put it on Facebook the next day because we had 45 people or something at the wedding. And then before you knew, it was 2 million and then it was 4 million and then it was 400 million people had seen this video and been translated, for lack of a better word, in Portuguese, Russian, Japanese, like, you name it. You can Google the bride who signed to a deaf husband and you'll see dozens of versions all over the internet. Wow. What year was this? (laughs) Oh, goodness. 2017 or 18, maybe? Okay. COVID steals years, don't you think? I don't know what year any year is right now. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Dog years, leap years, who knows
1: what. (laughs) Okay. Got it. But we wanna kind of fast forward that a little bit, right? COVID, we know that that's a bit of a shit show. So beginning of 2020, I'd traveled to the States to test a new methodology that I'd been developing around inclusion for organizations. So it was working in Australia and New Zealand. I wanted to see, will it work in North America? So I spent February here. Now you may recall February 2020 was just when COVID was hitting the news. It was kind of an Italian thing at that stage from memory. I got on the plane at the end of February, land in Sydney. Within days, I've also got COVID. Sick, ick, They didn't have testing at that point. Doctors wouldn't see you. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah. So I was home alone, me and my dog, pretty crap couple of weeks. And then Sydney had lockdown on the 23rd of March. So we're almost to my anniversary, and I mean the anniversary of COVID and the most shocking moment of my life which was on the 23rd of March. Monday morning, the government said they were shutting everything down, which meant all of my my own consulting, speaking, training, workshops cancelled, wiped off the bottom line. Uh, I also owned a gym at which my husband worked in. And so to help, I jumped online. And that gym was regional. So we kind of lived part-time between two locations. So he was currently in that location. So I jumped online to the business account to pause all the memberships and things and suddenly saw there was missing money and there was transactions that should not have been there, transactions that were evidence that he was doing something he shouldn't be doing. And I didn't jump to conclusions, but really I knew the truth deep down. Jumped on my laptop to have a look to see if he'd ever used it to access his Facebook and I didn't really want to see it But he had used it. So I thought, well, you're here, you need the truth. And there were the messages with a girl in her 20s. And anyway, it is what it is. So I had a mega panic attack, fell to the floor, fetal position, completely blindsided. Like I've never experienced that before. So that was the deepest, lowest point of my life. I will say, and it's something fun to think about now, is I got everything he owned, put it in garbage bags and put it out on the front lawn, took photos of it and sent it to him. You're welcome to pick this up whenever you're ready, so long as you beat someone else to it. (laughs) Ouch!
0: (laughs) Oh, gosh. Do you know if he got it? Was it him first? Uh, Probably. I don't know. Got it. Okay. (laughs) So he was on the street and you were on the floor And these things are terrible. There's no way to capture that feeling. And this story is so important because I thought I was speaking to you today about this like internet love story and how this internet love story brought you to America and the land of possibility in America. (laughs) And you're like, "Uh uh-uh, sister, it did (laughs) not go that way. And so- keep going. This is, I mean, Mm. the stories that capture our hearts that say, this is living. You are living while you're alive. And frankly, I think there's many people that can relate in some way, shape or form, hopefully not with spouses and yet probably with spouses that have hit the bottom of a barrel in the middle of the pandemic. So you went from the floor to some garbage bags, probably back to the floor for
1: a week or so. Please keep going. Well, Out of the blue, a couple of weeks later, I got a text message from someone, the best way to describe him is a mentor that we'd met more than 10 years earlier at an executive program actually in Boston. And um, he just sent a quick text, are you okay? I'm like, actually, no. And you know when sometimes, it's not. we didn't have one of those relationships where we shared personal life stuff, it was always work but he just got me at that moment of weakness and I offloaded. And then he just said, well, okay, that's enough. Tuesdays and Thursdays, 8am your time, because he was in Connecticut. And he said, uh, right, I'm going to mentor you and you're going to work out how to scale inclusion. Mm. I'm like, okay. So twice a week, I pulled myself out of bed. I got in the shower. I did my hair and makeup just to feel human. And within six months of his mentoring, I had invented an idea, just an idea at this stage, on how to create inclusion in organisations at scale. Mm. And we had venture capital by, by the August, which in a year when only 2% of venture capital funds were invested in female founders,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is a horrible statistic in itself, but a great win for me. Now, I do have to say that that year, wasn't easy. Like I make it sound like I went from on the floor to venture capital. Yeah, And that's where I figured the grief process for me, and Mm -hmm. I have to say, and I know people have worse grief than that. I know that there were far worse tragedies in life. For me, I'd never been in love and I was so captured by that love and then blindsided. I questioned everything I knew, everything I'd built I was doing a a new profession. I transferred from management consulting into diversity and inclusion based on that love. You know, like there was so much was taken from under me. I have to say, when you can't hug your mum, see your best friend, go out for dinner, or even go to an office and distract yourself, you're stuck in your home. Mm -hmm. You're forced to navel gaze, and you either get stuck in that grief or you heal. So I Took that Botox money, as uh, I mentioned earlier, and because no one was seeing me and I invested that in therapy, I'd have to say I probably did years worth of uh, healing, I suppose, within about six months, because what else do you do when you can't go out and, with your friends and drink cocktails? I can think of many things that many people do,
0: and <laughs> if you're going to go into a hyper chamber of therapy therapy. I think it's a beautiful example that there is a lot that can happen in a short period of time. And there's a lot that can happen. It's like a pressure cooker kind of way. So what you did was you like instapotted Therapy to say, like, I'm going to double down here. And I think that's really inspiring, not because in a culture of instant gratification, we want that, yet in a culture where we can choose to focus so discernly on something that's so important, we can see that there is something really beautiful on the other side. So it would be remiss if we didn't dive into your idea, your hope for organizations because of your experience with inclusivity and I mean it might be too soon but I thank this guy I mean think of the whole new career trajectory that like would not have been which I'm sure you hear all the time and in certain moments you're like I do not need to give this man any credit for my newfound (laughs) runway yet tell us about it what are you up to and why are you now here in America?
1: Thanks for asking, Steph. Well, as I mentioned, when I was over in the US just before COVID hit, I was testing this new approach to inclusion. For the last sort of 25 years, I'd been working as a transformation consultant. So an organization will go, we're here. We want to get to here, come do that. The future state would give us some statistics or measures around success, and we'd work around probably six months, 18 months, but invariably we'd get there. We'd transform the organization. And I kept thinking, why can't we just do that with inclusion? Like, why are we still talking about it? And why are we still so far from it? Mm -hmm. Why can't we just go, well, that's where we need to be. So let's get there. Mm -hmm. This is while I was studying my PhD. And if anyone that's listening has done their PhD, you'll know that there's a point where you cry so much about it and you hate it so much that you want to literally put it in the bin. Like if it wasn't on your computer, you would actually physically put it in the bin. So I kind of used that breaking point to pause and I just researched how specialists in diversity, inclusion and organisations were currently approaching it Mm. and then went to unpick why it wasn't working, why we could still use that statistic that I think it's in the Melinda Gates video and the World Economic Forum states 208 years until gender pay equity. Now, honestly, I could be hired by a client in my previous life. Within 48 hours, I could do the data analysis I could correct the pay and I can put a six-month change program in and make sure it doesn't flex back. Done. Gender pay equity is fixed in that organisation. Knowing that, I went, right, well, how would I do diversity inclusion? Mm -hmm. Build a model, tested it in Australia and New Zealand, came and tested it in the US because predominantly, if you just said to someone diversity inclusion, race is the identity that first comes to mind. Whereas I see inclusion as all identities and the intersectionalities of them, because one of those problems about focusing on one identity at a time, that's why everyone else has to wait. In fact, we all want inclusion for all of those underrepresented identities. So the solution is the coolest app you'll ever see in your organization ever now. If you know anything about Australians, we don't big note ourselves. We talk ourselves down. We're self-effacing. And it's really hard for me to say, this thing is freaking awesome. It's like if you remember at school, if you're old as me, you're still writing your assignments handwritten. And when you get it back and you got a good mark and you read it back, you're like, did I write that? Oh, my gosh, that is good. I didn't know I knew that. That's what it's like. It is that good. Think of it like a diversity and inclusion expert in your pocket. And an organisation gives every employee access to this app on your phone or on your desktop. And you can ask it anything about anything you're doing. So what I mean by that is you don't need to know what you need to know in terms of diversity inclusion. You just need to know what your job is and how you, in, in that moment, ask the AI, how do I do this more inclusively? So that could be serving a customer, hiring an employee, setting benchmarks in the boardroom and anything in between. It is beautiful. It covers off the employee experience and the customer experience. So now all I'll say, Steph, is if every single organization in the world that we work for, buy from, are governed by, treated by, or educated by, if every single organization had that, by default, we'll have an inclusive world. That's it, hacking the system.
0: That is so beautiful. We will make sure that the link is in the show notes, obviously. And for all of my Aussie friends, I so relate to you coming from an incredibly self- deprecating society and it is so beautiful to hear in your accent that this is the coolest app ever (laughs) and I think that the world of diversity and inclusion has been lost in it's too big where do we start it's 208 years away and to know that it doesn't even take a person you know like it's right here it's accessible reminds us that inclusion is possible And Mm -hmm. I think that is so, so powerful. I am so grateful you have chosen this to be the Dharma of the next chapter. I do have one question for you as it relates to the world of inclusivity, Mm -hmm. because you have seen it all undeniably, you've gone in the deep end. And could you share with us what the top three areas of opportunity, easiest accessibility to change to create more inclusivity in our workforce it's almost like the low-hanging fruit that we might not
1: realize so I'm actually going to give you two and just make it even easier perfect so the first one will be is holding yourself to account for making inclusive decisions Mm. because everything we do at work has a potential impact on others around us Mm. whether it's how you talk in a meeting room, design a piece of marketing material that goes externally, and how or how you serve a customer, right? Yeah. So, in every, we have decisions in every moment. So, if we think about our responsibility to be inclusive of others, because if we all take accountability for it, then we know someone else is going to take accountability for our inclusion too, right?
0: Yeah.
1: When you're doing that, think through. And I have the eight specific needs of all people and we won't run through them all now. Feel free to Google it or have a look. It simplifies inclusion for you. Mm. So if you think through, and I'm going to give you the first one as an example, is when you're making a decision, how is the person, and we'll keep it simple, the person that you're communicating with, able to hear, see, and physically access what you're providing? Mm. Now, that doesn't mean they need need to look at this person and think they're deaf, blind, or in a wheelchair because we all have vision hearing and physical access needs hmm. you think about the volume of how you're speaking you make sure you're looking at someone because it makes it easier to understand you know when you go out for dinner and there's tables and there's the bench that's up against the wall and it's really hard to get into and then to get back out to to go to the bathroom there are all these simple things we make decisions around how do we make sure everybody can see hear and physically access but there are seven others Um, that I encourage you to have a quick look at. But my favourite tip is holding others to account for inclusion.
0: Mm.
1: Let's leverage our privilege Mm. and recognise when we see it and call it out when it happens. Mm. Now, I will say quickly, Steph, that just to illustrate, it was only about five or six years ago that I experienced something in a workplace that paralysed me. I didn't say anything. And I wish so much that I had. Mm. So I'd been facilitating a huge executive workshop of over 60 people and three hours of this is how we're going to do this transformation and change, set their accountabilities and responsibilities. And at the end, as I was sitting down, the chief customer officer, the most senior person in that room of a multinational organization said loud enough for the whole room to hear. Well, Liz, if you'll wear those glasses and those heels, we'll do anything you tell us to do. And in that room, most people giggled. Mm. A good percentage of them laughed because they think it's funny and then others giggle out of discomfort. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And years later, I told that story in a keynote and someone messaged me on the chat field and said, I was in that room and I reported that to HR. So that isn't interesting. People see it. So what I want to say is when it happens, call it out, mm-hmm. even if you're scared. Yeah. And all you need to say, this is, all, this is the only sentence you need to put up your sleeve, is what did you mean by that? Mm. Because can you imagine what he would have had to have said to justify what he meant? Absolutely, yeah. What did you mean by that? Yeah. And we start to hold the world to account for inclusion. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, I hear that and my heart sinks. And I'm like, gosh, please no. And just because you know how to rock a pair of heels and a great pair of glasses and your stories and your charisma and all of these things, I mean, I want to wear enthusiasm on my sleeve and you won't be able to comment on it that way. So just thank you. Thank you for letting us all raise our sleeves, raise our hands to hold everyone to account and it's not to account to silence them it's to account to change them and I think that is so so powerful.
1: So it's not about that activist approach you Mm -hmm. don't need to know everything about inclusion you don't need to know the answers or solutions in that moment if you just have the words what did you mean by that in that time without aggression without accusation yeah use it as a learning moment.
0: Absolutely Beautiful. Well, Liz, I have a couple of questions left and I just before we're out of time here, because it would, it would really be remiss of me to not circle back on the love story and in the name of inclusivity, I mean, love, it's an inclusive part of our lives. And you were madly in love, fell ragingly out of love, traded Botox for therapy, Mm -hmm. traded a gym life for venture capital, traded life down under to life in America. And I think there's a new man.
1: (laughs) There is a new man. He slipped into my Instagram DMs. Yes. But we had actually worked together in a previous life. Eight years earlier, we'd been working together when I was working on a huge transformation program for our rail industry in Sydney. And he was running one of the change projects. So technically, Steph, not if you ask him, but you ask me, he worked for me. I like that. It was a very high-tension project with unions, and so Mm. you build a lot of trust um, with your team when you're working in projects like that. But that's all it was. It was just work. We hadn't spoken to each other since, and he just said, hey, any chance you'd like to go on a date? I'm like, okay. And the rest is history. It It was like we'd already built this trust and respect. We knew each other, and we both had done a lot of healing, had a lot of experience with life. And it all fell into place. He's British. It was a formal Royal Marine Commando. Green Ooh. Beret. Yes. <laughs> it does mean he makes me climb all of these 14 mountains, like 14 mountains in Colorado. That's the punishment I have to have married a, a Green Beret. But there's lots of rewards in other ways.
0: Amazing. And so you picked up life in Australia. You've moved to America. Mm. And it's 2022. Here for a new chapter.
1: Absolutely. So yes, I've got children and they're still in Australia. I often get asked this, why aren't they with you? I said, because they weren't even living with me in Australia because they're 23 and 20, right? So they're living their own lives. And um, so it really is my time. I had my kids when they were young yeah, and it was scary because I'd never left Sydney. All my choices were made as a parent. Now I'm making choices for me.
0: yeah,
1: And so here we are and it's time to make the include app. Think of it this way. You know how you say, Google it, you know, oh, just, just go and Google it. Well, one day everyone is going to say, oh, you should include that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love that you're there. Well, the last question we wrap every podcast with is what goal do you have for 2022? That's hot or top of your heart that you would be up for sharing with us?
1: Hot or top? I should have listened to another podcast so I knew to expect the question. <laughs> well, the other question is what is making your heart beat faster?
0: And 2022 struck and we've just been so obsessed with the science and the power of goals. The Corker Co was really founded on why goals matter so much. And it feels like the pandemic, you know, goals went to die and dreams didn't die. And I don't want to say we're on the other side of the pandemic yet. I never want a goal to die. And I think it's so powerful when we hear people People's goals, because the vulnerability of sharing something that is near to your heart, top of your heart, gives me permission to do the same.
1: Okay, love that. Absolutely love that. So, as you can probably tell, I'm completely transparent and authentic as it comes. So, when you uh, start a venture capital funded startup, it's a tough gig, right? I've been hospital twice since even being in America, right? Just from burnout and so here's the thing there's a part of the startup process where the funds start to get short before the actual profit starts to kick in and I've put everything I've personally financially earned in my lifetime into this product so my goal for this year is to get through this really tough few months and by the end of the year we are break even that's the goal I love that. I just got goosebumps. And what
0: that means for anyone who's listening and anything we can possibly do is to share the include app far and wide beyond borders, beyond countries. And we're here for it. I will so be following. We are cheering the app on and (laughs) I'm so grateful that, you know, I feel like I slid into your DMS and asked to podcast with you and just thanks. Thanks for being a yes. My pleasure. It's one of my things in life. You say yes. Well, I mean, here you are. You're saying yes. (laughs) It's working, Dr. Liz. Please don't stop. (laughs) Thanks, Deb.